My name is Rebecca Sanborn Stone, and I'm with the Orton Family Foundation. Bonnie Shaw is abroad this week, actually, so I'll be filling in and moderating today's conversation. For those of you who have just joined or don't know where you are, this is the Community Matters Conference Call on Third Places. This is part of a monthly series brought to you by the Orton Family Foundation. We want to welcome all of you. We're thrilled to have you on the line today and to have two great people here to share their expertise on building third places and why you even might want to do that in the first place. So whether you're a complete novice or an expert, we're really excited to introduce you to our speakers today and to get the benefit of all of your thinking and expertise as well. I want to handle just a couple of housekeeping notes before we get rolling here, things that will help us make today's call as smooth and useful as possible. The most important one is I'm going to ask everybody to put yourself on mute right now, which you can do by pressing star six on your phone. If you've joined us in the past, you know that we do this so that we can have some real conversation later, and you can take yourself off mute if we call on you to ask a question or you want to jump into the conversation. Um, we always end up with a couple people who don't do it, and we get to hear your lovely background music or your dog barking or whatever's going on, and that can be really distracting. So. If we do have that kind of background noise, unfortunately, we will have to mute everyone and shut down the conversation right there. Um, so again, I will ask you all to just do that yourself. You can press star six right now, mute yourself, and not worry about what's going on in the background. If you do want to come off mute at some point to talk, and I'll remind you of this, you can press pound six at any time. I also want to remind you that we have a Google Doc to help with today's call. We use that to facilitate, take questions, um, and most importantly, to give you all a chance to have a little side conversation as well. There's no way we can get to all the great questions today and get the benefit of everyone's expertise and thinking on the line. So we really encourage you to go in there, put in questions if you have them, and more importantly, answer each other's questions. Type in your thoughts. Have a little conversations there. If you have links and case stories and great examples, please put them in there as well. Use that however you like. That Google Doc will stay live after this call as well, so if you don't want to pay attention to it right now, you are always free to go back later and add your thoughts or answer some more questions then. I will note that Google Docs has a maximum capacity of 50 people to be editing at any one time, and I think we're getting close to that right now. So if you try to load it and it tells you you're in read-only mode, you can try refreshing and there's a good chance you'll be able to get back on later. Um, if you went in early and you have no intention of typing away in there, you might want to close out right now, give someone else a chance to get in and edit, and then you can always open it back up in read-only mode. Uh, two last reminders, if you have any tech problems today or you're having problems with noise on your line, you can call the operator at star zero and know that if it's a problem with the line overall, we'll be trying to resolve it as fast as possible. And then when you came on, you probably heard a quick message that we are recording today, as we do every week. So just be aware that if you make any comments on the line, they'll be down for posterity, and we will be sharing that out next week on the podcast. So without any further ado, I want to turn this over to today's speaker and introduce you to Karen True, who's currently working with the Alliance for Pioneer Square in the Seattle area but she has years of experience building and programming a number of great third places throughout that area. And Mike Newton of Make Strategies in South Dakota has written extensively about why communities even need third places, and he's worked a lot with rural communities in particular, encouraging them to build them and make great gathering places for communities. So I'm going to turn it over to Mike to get us what we today. All right. Well, thanks, Rebecca. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me along here today. I'm excited to be on the call. You know, I really do believe third places are important to the future of our rural communities, and that's where I do my work. And uh, I've got a little background in economic development, and I have a saying that I like to share with people about economic development. And it's nothing special, but I'd like to say that conversations lead to trust, and trust help us get things done. And, uh, you know, I, I actually began my uh, career as a teacher, and certainly conversations lead to the relationships that help us get things done as a teacher, working with students and also parents. Um, but as I moved into economic development, I really started to see that uh, applicability as well. And uh, in, in one case, we uh, were working to establish a beef processing facility in our small town. And, you know, not everybody likes those things. They tend to be a little smelly and have a few other negative impacts. But 
while we were developing the project, we worked very hard at just trying to hold conversations with residents, and uh, what we were trying to do was to build their trust. And we've been, you know, this wasn't the first time we started the conversation. We've been doing it for a long time, but that process of just engaging our, our constituents made a huge impact, and I was pretty proud when that project was able to move forward, and people, for the most part, felt good about the, the process. And, you know, so conversations, you know, third places can help us build those conversations. But the problem I see often in our uh, neck of the woods is that the social structures in our small towns that used to facilitate third places, they're, they're gone or they're really weakened or maybe just changed. But we need to think about redeveloping them. And I want to highlight a little bit about third places here. Um, you know, Ray, Olden, Ray Oldenburg is the sociologist who's credited with coining the phrase. And, um, you know, Oldenburg began to notice that people live their lives in three different spheres. You know, our first sphere was our home. Um, you know, our homes used to be small. They didn't have these big family rooms, and we didn't have TV to go watch. So people generally left their homes to socialize. Our second place was work. And we do socialize at work. You know, we, we talk about maybe the football game or a little politics over the water cooler. And, and what I think we need to understand about that conversation is that it's usually with people who are very similar to ourselves. We have a similar job. We have a similar background and just similar ideas about uh, life and, and, and even our values. So Odenberg noticed that a third sphere where we live our lives is this public sphere. And it's places like coffee shops, our, our churches, our civic organizations. And, and one of my favorites, actually, you know, the, the local pub. And I'm not talking about a bar. I'm talking about a pub, you know, that, that place where you can actually go for a conversation and not just to drink. And, um, you know, these are the places where people had conversations. And, again, what was happening is people from varying backgrounds came together in those places, and I think that's very important. A third place um, has to bring together people with the varying backgrounds, and uh, Odenberg believed that uh, third places were, were the foundation of democracy, and part of what he was saying there is that we learn how to talk to each other and how to disagree with each other without destroying our friendships. Um, but he also witnessed that in third places, uh, people's social status just didn't seem to matter as much. And, you know, uh, it's, it's like everybody knows your name in a third place, but you're also all the same. It's a huge leveling effect where, where you can just come together and who you are doesn't matter as much. So, uh, you know, although... Um, we don't have time to talk about all the benefits that third places offer. I'd, I'd like to just highlight the importance of third places as a means of also introducing newcomers into communities, and especially our rural communities. That's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, you know, most of our small towns, at least the ones I work with, pride themselves on being uh, friendly, you know, friendly places. You walk down the street, people say hi. You drive down the road and people wave. But the reality is it's pretty difficult to fit into a small town if you're a newcomer. And a third place can be a way of introducing a newcomer into your community. And that's something that uh, we try to help communities think about and work on. Uh, but again, uh, unfortunately, our world changed. Following World War II, third places began to disappear, and our, uh, our rural communities, such as you know, we used to have these churches that were, and civic institutions that used to be the bedrock of our community, well, today they're weakened as places for social interaction. And so in our work, we're trying to help people seek new methods of recreating that conversation. And before we go any further, I want to highlight that I'm not an expert on third places. Uh, Rebecca found me, as she mentioned, because I write. Uh, I used to write for a blog called Reimagine Rural. And our goal there was to uh, help um, help people in, in small towns think differently about the future of their towns. And one of my favorite posts that I wrote was 10 Reasons Third Places Matter to Rural Communities. And I wish I could say that I inspired a community to develop a third place or to build one, you know, a public third place. But the reality is I think the best that the post accomplished was it caused community groups to think differently about the importance of their existing spaces. And at, uh, at, at times that just meant um, becoming more aware of the importance of trying to engage people. Um, 
so uh, luckily here, uh, we, uh, we were able to help communities reinvent, uh, think about how they might reinvent third places. And I'd also say I feel very uh, excited that we have Karen on the phone today. I didn't know Karen uh, before Rebecca introduced us. Um, but I'm very impressed with the work uh, that she has done in, in building third spaces in, in urban areas. And um, so I think with that, I might just turn it over to Rebecca. Or Karen, I guess. Yep, go ahead. That's fine. I'll, I'll just thank you, Mike. That was an amazing introduction to third places and gives us so many great directions we can take this conversation as we move on. So if you're listening to Mike and that prompted some questions for you, please throw them into the Google Doc and we'll do our best to get to them. Um, but let me just turn it over to Karen now to talk a little bit about her work as well. Well, thanks, um, Rebecca and Mike. And Mike, you are so articulate. That was so uh, such a, a great description of the role of third places and what they mean. And you know, it, it feels like I kind of bumped into all of this myself because I was in a new um, suburban neighborhood where I didn't feel like I knew anyone, and I um, happened upon. Uh, it's actually called Third Place Books and um, was enchanted and actually took a, a turn in my career and this is it's a big deal to me now. So I, I'm in Seattle and the work that I've done with Third Places, um, well, I've kind of worked with a few different models, but um, mainly for about 10 years, I got to work with Ron Schur, who became a really good friend of Ray Oldenburg. And Ron wanted to transform this dead shopping center into a third place. It was a suburban neighborhood that really didn't have any meeting place at all. And so what he did was he um, did, got a master lease on a huge amount of the, the shopping center. And then kind of all at once he put in a, a bookstore. He wanted it to be a third place, and so that's where he came up with the name. And he put in a bookstore, and then there was also a, a, a large um, open area with lots of tables. He subleased to a few restaurants. Uh, he subleased to a community uh, community college. The public library was there, and so there were kind of all of these different things in this this big space, and they opened all at once. And indeed, indeed, the, the community came, and it was really cool because they'd never had a place to go hang out, um, and it was. But but very quickly, it became managing this space that was there for the community. It doesn't just happen. And the the story goes that Ron and uh, a friend were at one of the restaurants for lunch, and this friend was saying, wow, this is just so cool. The community has this wonderful place, and, and you must be so happy. And Ron said, yeah, but it's just really it's really hard to manage. You know, our, our booksellers are in the business of selling books and the people with the restaurants are trying to tend to that business, but there's really no one kind of overseeing it all. I just don't know how it's going to work. So this woman came up behind him and said, wait, wait, this is very cool and we've got to figure this out. So um, essentially the deal that was brokered as kind of an experiment was Ron said, all right, we will let the community manage this space. So this this is a to die for space. It's about an 11,000 square foot um, meeting area in front of the stage with lots of tables and all. And he said, you know what? We will maintain that um, if the community will have a nonprofit organization um, to manage it. We'll let you guys manage it as long as that is made up of the stakeholders from the community. So, uh, indeed, this nonprofit um, happened, and it was made up of someone from the senior center, someone from the school, someone from the art council, there were business members, somebody from the library and the community college. So it was just all kind of representing that community and the users. And um, so that was cool. And then the bookstore continued to, they kind of seeded 
the events with music, live music, every Friday and Saturday night. So it was really cool until, but then the lesson learned quickly was that you burn out your board creating programs, creating events, because, you know, someone was trying to come up with something for Halloween and somebody else was trying to organize something for Valentine's Day, and it was just crazy. And so what we what we did is we kind of turned it inside out and said, wait, instead of creating programs, what we need to do is just be the, the conductor. We will just be here in the middle and we will help with scheduling and we will help encourage people to come use this incredible space that we've got and everyone wins because it was great for merchants because if there are a lot of people gathering from the community, it makes cash registers ring. And um, so it, it was it was really a great experience. And so it was probably a year to kind of get things rolling. It probably took about a year of saying yes to everything, going out to the senior center and saying, come bring your mahjong, and going out to the 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 scouts and saying, you know, bring your Pinewood Derby. But it was going out to all of these different organizations around the community, the schools, bring your choirs, bring your, um, you know, the the plays, but bring whatever you're doing already and bring it to this place and share it with the whole community. And it 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 was really it, it's it's still going very very strong. There were probably um, we counted one year there were 1,200 free events for the community in this space. And some were big, you know, there were a few festivals, but, and there was the live music, but often it was Spanish conversation. Sometimes it was, um, a writing group. It was, you know, all these different things. But instead of this nonprofit creating the program and doing all of that legwork, they let the other people in the community do the heavy lifting. And so they just, were the facilitators, so that was so that that was that one model. Then I was also working with another one of Ron's shopping centers in another suburb, and it that was a different model because the third place was kind of part of the property management philosophy, and so that was was different, but again, we had a band. There was a, a, a wonderful food court of just local, independent, international uh, restaurants. Uh, it's a very diverse area. Um, one in three households uh, is from, speaks a different language. So it's also about a mile away from Microsoft. So it's an incredible diversity uh, in the other thing that we did at this shopping center, again, we used this big central court area for events, but then we also added city hall that gave another reason for people in the community to come. The library, again, set up in the shopping center, and it's a teeny tiny place that sees 43,000 people come through the door every month. Um, but again, we had lots of lots of different events going on there um, throughout the year. They have even more. I think they have more like three thousand different things going on. But it's just the community knows that that is the place that they can go, um, bump into each other. That um, multiple events can be happening at once. Um, but there are there are so many reasons for people to come on any given day, whether or not there's something on the program. Um, there's there's still a store where they can shop, where there's a place where they can eat. But people are coming for many different reasons um, at different times. And then we also were doing work in a community that was totally different, and it was a downtown revitalization project in uh, Bremerton, which is next to a naval base. And so that was actually working with a number of different property owners and just trying to get um, – identify places within that downtown area of, of where we could do this kind of thing. But, sorry, I don't mean to go on and on, but it seems like what was really important was 
just going, having someone go out into the community to invite folks to come in and use the place um, and to think bigger. I, I remember so many times I would go out to the Family Support Center. Uh, they They really wanted to have a higher profile in the community, but they couldn't figure out how to do it outside of an information table. So we were saying, no, think bigger, no information table, think bigger. So they came down and they would set up you know, play activities for the kids for the whole community, and it was wonderful. So um, I, I guess that's that's what we're doing right now. I'm in Pioneer Square. I'm just starting some some work here, and actually my work here was, is more with the lens of economic development. But um, so I, I, I can't speak too much to Pioneer Square just yet because we're it, it's a different animal, I admit. But um, but anyhow, I, I do think that the keys for a third place are having someone. Someone has to be paying attention and to to what's going on in the community and, and encouraging people to come in and bump into each other and play. So go ahead. Uh, Rebecca? Yeah, thank you so much, Karen. You've given us so much detailed information just through that short introduction about how to get started and how to make these places really work. And for those of you listening, you're probably getting a sense that we're going to bounce back and forth a little bit today between some of the bigger picture questions. Why do we even need third places and why do we want to have these spots in our community? And then some of the more applied questions that many of you are struggling with, which is how do I actually go about building this in my town? Um, so thank you both for your introductions. I think that was a fantastic start. Just one more quick reminder to those of you on the line, um, if you are just joining or if this is, please do put yourself on mute by pressing star six. And I know some point during that introduction, a bunch of you were probably kicked off Google Docs. I think there was some kind of connection issue. So if this did happen, feel free to try to get back on. I think it is working again. Um, so let me just dive into a few of the questions that we've had submitted in Google Docs so far. Um, and one gets to the heart of what Mike has written about before. Some of you may have read the blog post he put up about benefits of third places. We've heard about a lot of them already. Of course, they help to create conversation. They help to get people together. Um, they can create a little bit more of a, a democratic gathering space than some others. But I wanted to ask both Mike and Karen if there are other benefits for communities that may not be as obvious, or maybe not even for communities. Are there benefits for businesses and individuals that are important to know about. Mike, do you want to get us started on that one? You know, I hate to say this. Can you restate uh, the question? Because I just pounded, pound sixth and lost a little bit of that question no as problem. I came back online. Yeah, I just wanted to start a little conversation about some of the benefits of third places and maybe some of the more unexpected benefits, some of the things you've written about in the past. Um, and I'd be curious, especially as Mike and Karen represent different ends of the spectrum from rural to urban if it really differs. You know, one of the things that I think that happens for our rural communities is we're transforming the old corner cafe into a third place. And, you know, there's a sense that uh, a third place is a cool place. And for our younger folks, I think that there's value in trying to help them, you know, provide something where they can actually fit in. And, and that happened to me in an economic development committee meeting. Actually, we were doing some vision work, and we had the youth in, engaged. And a girl said, you know, I wish we had a star. Uh, and she said, I wish we had a coffee shop in our town. And the local uh, mayor actually said, what do you mean? We've got two of them. But the point that she just jumped right back in and said is, yeah, but that's just a place where you guys go to have conversation over the lunch counter. We want a place that's cool. And so part of what we're talking about is trying to create a place for our young people because in rural South Dakota, we've had um, a huge out-migration uh, through the years. And, you know, maybe another thing that I'd just throw out in terms of a benefit, I do think that third places are, are, are even tourist stops. People want to to experience something authentic in a community. And I know that even as I've gone to an urban center, I've, I've gone to um, you know, third place books. I've tried to seek out something different, something authentic 
And I think that if you are able to develop a third place, there's an opportunity for you to, to um, uh, you know, have newcomers uh, uh, see your community as they tour through it. So maybe just a couple things that I would uh, throw out there um, and maybe turn it over uh, to Karen. Well, I can hardly list all of the benefits. To me, my mind just starts popping. Uh, for businesses, I think it's it's great businesses because it's bringing people in um, and, like I said, making cash registers ring. It's also a place that will attract it, – it's good for other businesses. I, I think of the, the number of real estate ads that will – say that one of the benefits of a particular house is that it's located next to third place. Um, but it's, it's great for business. Mike, you were talking about a place for the kids. I think it's a great place for kids to learn how to engage in their communities. They kind of learn about that civic engagement thing. And another thing that, that has been interesting to watch is it's wonderful to have a place that is cool enough that those high school kids or junior high kids will love to go and they feel like they're being independent because they'll get dropped off or they'll be able to ride the bus and go to this place after school. So they're feeling really independent, and yet parents are feeling pretty good because they know that there are so many eyes on those kids while they are there and that, that it really is kind of that whole village thing. Um, I think it is, third places can be great places for um, different generations to connect. I, I think about when we had Magic, the card game that so many kids were playing. A bunch of them would come on Friday nights, I remember, and that also happened to be the night that a lot of um, – senior people in the neighborhood would come have dinner and listen to the music and they were all kind of bumping into each other and at first there were real issues around that that people had and um because they they weren't comfortable with those kids in the black coats or the kids in the black coats weren't comfortable with all those white-haired people and yet they they did with some intentional introductions, and um, it, it, it ended up wonderful. That and they developed some great relationships. Um, it's also a great place for collaboration. I'm thinking about a, a hospital that was trying to let the community know about a program that they had, and so they were able to come, but. It got additional attention because they were able to come and the YMCA brought, they, they thought that that would be great and they'd like to be a part of it, so they brought volunteers and activities. Some children's book authors said, well, gosh, we'd like to be a part of that, and some illustrators came and then public health came, and pretty soon they ended up this big party that no one wanted to miss. But I, I think it's just kind of starting with that kernel and then things things grow. Um, it's also great for cities. City, um, the city loves to be able to tout to that kind of thing, and it raises property values in the neighborhood. You know, Karen, if I can jump in and ask you a question, you don't mind. You mentioned um, that when you were working with young people, uh, maybe you weren't mm -hmm. really working with them, but you used the words, through some intentional introductions there was some real interaction between the generations. I'm just kind of curious, how important do you think it is to have a host or somebody who is thinking about making introductions to people and helping them connect? Oh, my gosh. I think that is so important. And, they, and it's a host that has to be kind of present and watching all of the time. It was... They, they need to notice that there is some tension in the air between these groups that maybe they can ask a couple of them to come sit down for a Coke and talk about uh, things. I, I think a host there to watch and pay attention is 
one of the most important pieces. Yeah, I would tend to agree, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be the owner of a place or the manager yeah. of a place, and, you know, that's just something to think a little bit about as you, you try to um, create these spaces that, you know, it just takes somebody who's good at, at, at talking to people, and, and amazing things can happen um, as a result. It was interesting, I think in Odenberg's book, if I remember, he says that the owner shouldn't be the focus of the conversation. Right. It has to be the people. Right, and they do figure it out, and forgive me, I've told this story a number of times, but I just love this. Um, I don't think it has to be the owner. I don't even think it has to be the, the head of any organization. I think it it can just happen, some of these conversations. Um, one of my, one of the times that I was there, we were, there was a, a group setting up to do a senior dance. So there was a high school band that was setting up and seniors were kind of milling around waiting for for the music to start and the dancing to start. And we had, over to the side of the stage, we had a little conversation kind of pit. I think it was a, a sofa and then a rug in front of the sofa and then two stuffed chairs facing it so people could chat. Well, so... This little lady came up to me, this little senior came up to me, and she tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, um, honey, and she pointed over at the sofa, and there were these two young people, um, teenagers, getting a little carried away with their affections. And she said, um, uh, honey, we need to do something about that. And I said, oh, my goodness, I, I get it. So, because these kids were horizontal on the couch, and headed for trouble there in a public place and at any rate so I started to walk over there and then she she ran back and she grabbed me by the shoulder and she said wait we can take care of this and so she and a friend then these two little old ladies sat in the two chairs facing the sofa with the kids on it and they just sat there and smiled at these kids lying on the sofa and um, they realized that they were being watched, and they popped up. But anyhow, it, it's, but it's ownership of the space. It's lots of people feeling ownership of the space, that they, they can do something in that space. That's a great anecdote. It really goes to show how there are so many things that you can do in person, you know, even facial expressions, that sort of thing, that contribute to this feeling, but you just can't get in any way um, it's a great segue, actually. We have a, a couple questions here, one from Natalia and one from someone else who didn't leave a name, I think, about the trends we have, certainly these days, to have a lot of these conversations online instead of offline. It's certainly something we all probably notice. Most of us have Facebook accounts. Um, Mike already talked a little bit about trying to have some of these gathering spaces who have been disappearing in rural communities, and I'd wager some of them have been supplemented online. But I'm curious what you both think of that. Can online spaces play any of the roles of third places or do you see any ways that online and offline interactions can reinforce each other? Um, I can go first. Go ahead. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, creating online communities for our, uh, part of our community development process. You know, There's a study out of uh, uh, I was out of Toronto in a suburb. They introduced 50% of the people to online uh, uh, social media and the other 50% didn't have it. And the 50% of the people in this uh, suburb who had it were more likely to recognize uh, the picture of their neighbors. They were more likely to um, have their neighbors over for supper, and they were more likely to stay connected to people after they moved away. And I think that those are incredibly powerful statements about what can be done online. But, you know, um, and, and I'm also very impressed with the uh, a project called the Front uh, Porch Forum. Um, they're, they're trying to really engage in some online conversation. But I'm one of those guys who also thinks you got to have something in a face-to-face -face fashion. You need that, that human interaction, and we're all connected to physical places and um, and so while I think it's it's just a different form of conversation but it's I don't think you'd want to ever just totally replace um, a third place with an online conversation 
Uh, I'll share this as well. If you're trying to do some programming online and offline, um, I know of a community that does a great job of maintaining a, a Facebook page, a, a town of only a 1,000 people, but they have almost 3,000 fans on their Facebook page. They connect to people who used to live there, and it's just incredible. One of the things they do each week is they post a community question, and some of those questions become pretty interesting. One of them, they had, I don't know, 80 or more uh, comments on, and it was about what do we do with this bull that's a statue in the town as silly as that kind of sounds they had a statue that was a bull and something needed to be done either to um, improve it or change it or delete get rid of it something like that and um, what happened is not only were those conversations then taking place online but they the people who led the effort of, of doing it on the Facebook page also would uh, go to the coffee shop and talk to the people there and so there's that concerted effort to merge an online activity with an offline activity and build um, a greater community support for for an activity. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it with that and turn it over uh, to Karen. I think that is great. I still I still can't figure that out. I have to be honest. I still can't figure it out. It is interesting to me. Um, at any of these third places I've talked about, they all have um, Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi, which is great. And yet there are so many people that, that don't want to be isolated. So what they do is they bring their computers to third place, connect to the Wi-Fi, and then they – so they're, they're still doing just online, but they're not talking to anyone. But I think they feel better about at least being in a room with other people. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated by all of that, and I, I'm still a student in studying that. That's great. I wonder if there's anyone else on the line who has experience or thoughts about this. If there's anyone who'd like to jump in, please feel free to take yourself off mute. You can press pound six, and we'd love to hear from you. While we give somebody a second to do that, I might just uh, highlight that I, I came across an article that uh, I think it was titled Creating Third Places and um, Places Where Communities Come Together, but it was a study. Um, and, and they talked about the difference between passive social interaction and active social interaction, and they were really making the case that active social interaction where you're having conversations is very important within successful third places, but yet people do feel this need for this passive social interaction, which is maybe just bringing your laptop in there and, and being around people and having small conversations. And, and I have to admit, it's a way, I'm not the most social individual in the world, um, and I I think it's in a way that if I take a laptop into a new space, it's a way that I can kind of feel comfortable getting used to that space um, before becoming a part of it. Yeah. Hi, this is um, this is Deb Twersky. I'm uh, one of the people listening, and I just wanted to jump in and say that um, I think both are important. You know, the online and the face-to-face. -face, but the it seems like in an online community. I'm going to a place where others are like me, where I feel like, oh, I can, I can have a community of like-minded people. And in the face-to-face -face places, I know both um, Third Place Commons really well and, and Crossroads. I'm also in Seattle. And it, it, I want to go there to um, see people who are not like me, or and I can run into people who are not like me, and I want to see them visually. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I want to see their faces and their... I don't know. I, I want to see them in person. Um, so I just think there are different uses, you know. Yeah, I have a link. Uh, this, oh, um, up. Uh, my name is Leslie, and um, my experience with this was uh, I, the conclusion was to just use books um, as a passive um, activity and take away the computers. Um, and, and, and this was a library that we did. We did a little pop-up library, a temporary library in a, in a neighborhood in Boston. And with the computers, we found that, the, you know, the kids and the people were just flocking to them. Um, and uh, so our next project, we took out the computers. We now have a 
outdoor library that roams around um, and pops up in different places on we took out the computers. <laughs> Hi, if I can, this is Jim Segety, if I could throw out a, uh, an idea that I've been playing with. Um, one of the things that I've discovered is many times the social media outlets, be it Twitter or Facebook or any of those things, um, people are using those as an opportunity to make the transition from second place to third place. People will say, hey, I, I know you're up on the 14th floor and I'm down on the 7th floor of whatever building or whatever the case may be. Why don't we all get together over at Mulroney's Pub um, and talk face-to-face? And so many times it becomes a scheduling thing or someone else may be in a whole different part of the, the city. And it, it's used many times as a scheduling opportunity to go from those connections we have at work, uh, which sometimes are not frequent, uh, to an opportunity to get together and expand the conversation. Mike mentioned Front Porch Forum, which is a wonderful platform run out of Vermont by a man named Michael Lewis. Um, some of our projects here at Orton have used that, and it reminds me a lot of what Michael has said, that somehow that online platform is just a really critical bridge, whether it's the kind of scheduling bridge Jim is talking about or just the first step to interaction that Mike was talking about. He found that often neighbors will live next door to each other and never say hello until they introduce themselves online. And then once they do that, they're somehow actually more willing to meet up in person or have a conversation out on the street. Was there anyone else hoping to jump in on this conversation? Otherwise, we'll switch gears. Well, this is uh, Phil Stafford, and um, there there are really interesting comments that uh, have been made and really appreciate the presentations. Um, Sometimes I feel like the... uh, the discussion um, it makes it hard for me to to generalize to formula, I guess, um, because it seems like there's always an on the other hand. And um, uh, you know, I work mostly with older people, and and uh, for a lot of older men, McDonald's is their third place. And um, um, insofar as I mean, if McDonald's were there, it might be some other place, and um, um, I don't know you can e- if you can easily substitute because people sort of can resist, you know, being programmed, if you will. And um, uh, William H. White used to do a lot of, as you know, interesting work in New York City and how people use public spaces. And I remember um, him commenting on the value of movable movable chairs, um, which which speaks to the uh, a different uh, to a strategy maybe is which is what I'm kind of interested in and it, it's almost a an, an, that the strategy is an, an enabling process uh, a process of removing barriers so people can be on their own on their own terms to interact with one another without being um, you know programmed if you will and um, on the other hand. Um, I think that active facilitation can be really valuable. I, I've been in restaurants where the owner is, is uh, plays a very important role in making newcomers feel comfortable um, and then uh, introducing them to the regulars. And, um, you know, third places often have regulars, and it can be intimidating for a person who's not a regular to try to enter into one of those uh, places. And um, so it's a... Uh, it's a it's sort of a complicated, probably because we're talking about human behavior. It's a really complicated uh, undertaking, as, as William H. White said. Place the meaning of the space is is made by the users, not the planners. And um, so, I, 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 I for me, that kind of generates some thoughts about physical space that um, um, lead me in a certain direction, I guess. I can can I jump in? <laughs> so I I love those comments and I I think that they are so important and I think that it is it's right was it was he the same guy that talked about nothing attracts people like people like more people but um I I think making those physical spaces such that it's easy for people to um you know put chairs to get 
tables together when they want to put tables together for a bigger group or um, have spaces. I, I almost think of them as rings of engagement because you're going to have some people who are going to, um, if there's a programmed event, they really aren't going to want to be in the middle of it, but they really are quite comfortable being on the outside until they get more comfortable and can kind of work their way in. But I think I think what happens um, spontaneously is probably more important than what is programmed. For, for me, it, it feels like um, programming is just kind of seeding those conversations and training people that to to come to a space and use it. But um but yeah, I, I think I, I think making a space comfortable enough and having thought through the logistics of the chairs and the tables and the, the groupings and how porous the space is, how many different places people can come in and out and all of that. I think that that makes it look like it's happening organically and by itself, but I, I think it's like a play. I think that there's a, a great deal of work that has to go into the front end to make the space work. Mm-hmm. Nice metaphor. Yeah. Hi, my name is Matthew Hirsch. I, I just had a question about, um, uh, Mike, you mentioned the community development process, um, and I was just wondering how can third places be supported by the specifically by the community development field or if there's any thinking or insight um, uh, uh, about that out there. And if I can just tack one other thing on to that. Um, if there is a if there is an increasing recognition or uh, for the need of third places in the face of increasing household size, a return to urbanism, uh, indoor shared amenities, et cetera. Question. Thanks, Matt. Mike, sure. do you want to give that one up? Yeah, uh, I'll get started. You know, I think that in terms of you know community development, uh, one of the things that I think I've seen is uh, different uh, groups across our state have actually developed study circles, and the study circles are pretty. It's a pretty informal process, but you you get together and you um, have read. Uh, some material that uh, uh, kind of leads to the conversation that's going to happen that day, and then they they schedule that in, in, a, in a coffee shop or a public space. And and if it's being led within the community development field, I think you're leading towards some of those um, more serious conversations that we need to have. And and to a degree, you know, I mentioned that Facebook thing where you know they they started the conversation about what to do with this little statue in in the town right. online, and then they made sure that they were um, going and talking to people as well because it's obviously, you know, a Facebook conversation is very different than a blog conversation, which is really very different from a face-to-face conversation. And I think there's value in probably all of those types of, of conversations. And I'm not sure really how to answer um, the second part of your question, I guess. I'm sorry about that. Sure. No, no, no. It's fine. I don't think I have too much to add on that one. Okay. Is there anybody else on the line who works in community development or has thoughts on this question? If you're trying to come off mute, feel free to press pound six. You know, if I could just maybe add one other little thing. Um, I've often told this story to people that I actually became engaged in community development work because of a third-place-like experience. It happened in my community. I was a teacher there. I was not engaged in the community. All my friends were at the school. It's a small town, so I still went to church, and I knew people. That wasn't the problem, but my friends weren't outside of the school, and we had a community vision process that went through a series of small and large group facilitated meetings, but we had the small group meetings in people's houses at the kitchen table. Now, that's not a third place, but what happened is we had some serious conversations. One guy in our conversation, and one of them, uh, he said, I'm mad at those damn teachers. He actually used that word swearing at us because we were taking our t- 
his tax dollars out of the community, and it led to a conversation. And you know, we talked about local sales tax and and what's the role of the teacher living in the community, and it became a pretty powerful um, activity. But so it was good for us to have that conversation because he'd just been having that conversation with other farmers, and I was having my conversation with teachers. But it's part of what inspired me to take ownership in my community, and I think that that's just part of what we have to help people understand. Third places are important for that reason. Great. Thanks, Mike. Sorry, we've got a ringing phone there. If that's your phone ringing, please do put yourself on mute. You can press star six. I think that was a sign that I should be done with it. <laughs> okay. Sign from somebody. <laughs> Matt, do you have any other thoughts you want to add on this question? Do I? No. Uh, I'm, 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 um, <laughs> I had a, uh, you know, we're, um, for, for full disclosure, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm senior editor at Shelter Force Magazine, and I'm not here uh, as a reporter, but we are putting together a series of, uh, of articles on third places and, and community development. Um, so I'm looking for, for some additional insights. Uh, we, we, we work, we work mostly, we, we, we look at, uh, through storytelling, mostly, mostly, uh, articles on, on lower income or distressed communities. Um, and, uh, we've been talking about, uh, the idea of third places for a long time and we've had, um, hints of it in, in various articles. And, uh, a, a recent example, um, uh, includes a piece that we did on a women's housing and economic development organization in the Bronx and instilling kind of a sense of, of, of history due to the lack of physical um, uh, remnants of, 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 uh, of the neighborhood because the buildings were gone. They burned down. Um, uh, so a big part of this organization was to, was to, was to um, in, in new structures, include a sense of, 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 of history for the, for the residents who didn't remember. Um, and one of the examples uh, they gave was, was that you know, um, in, a, in a public housing uh, development uh, was was in, in, in the rec room was the birth of of, of, of hip hop. You know, so so you have you have third 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 spaces where um, that have launched you know big movements and and musical genres and big ideas, um, and then also obviously just just you know engaging with one another and um, creating uh, essential. Um, uh, 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 those, those, those important pieces of the fabric of a community. Um, so, it, 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 but what we are looking at is is to see specifically how community development um, can help support um, uh, these types of environments, uh, and they do happen organically in many places, in many cases. But there are organizations who are working to to um, uh, cultivate uh, these types of places. Um, and uh, uh, you know we've we've looked at uh, we're looking at uh, public art. Um, uh, uh, third places is anchor for redevelopment, um, uh, urban agriculture and gardens. Um, uh, and uh, so this is no, but this this conversation has been particularly enlightening, uh, just as far as um, uh, providing insight and, and perspective. So I I know I'm I'm on, I'm fact finding. I don't I don't have a whole lot to add, but. But um, uh, uh, just just general context. But thank you for letting me share. Great. Well, thanks for jumping on the line. Um, I wish we had an extra hour to go because I think there's so many of you here who have wonderful stories about what you're working on as well. We're down to a little bit over five minutes. I want to try to hit one more question pretty quickly before we do a little bit of wrap-up here. And our wrap-up will be a little different than sometimes when we've done these calls. Um, but we've had several questions, including one that just came in over email from Adriana, really asking about resources and where people can go to get more information. And there are a lot of different things folks are looking for. There are a couple of questions on where you can find funding for this kind of work, um, a couple questions about where you can just find resources to help design or execute or plan spaces, where to find tools or resources to share with community groups that even introduce the concept of third places, um, so we're looking the community for community partners to work with. So that's a lot of stuff I'm throwing at you there, but I want to just pass that back to Mike and Karen for a moment as well and see what you think. Where would you tell people to start? Well, I think to me it seems like 
it's it's great if you can identify a, a place where you can start to have these these conversations, and it could be the McDonald's, or it could be um, a space at the library, or it could be a coffee shop. I think it can be a number of different things, but I, I think having a few people yeah. give this some thought, I think having two or three committed partners representing the community is enough to get things started. Um, I think that if you could get somebody from the library, if you could get somebody from, um, you know, a, a business person, but just it doesn't matter, I think, who is in that early mix. But I think that if you could kind of bring folks representing different entities together and just start the conversation is a great it's a great place to start. And um, and as as funding, I did want to say funding's tough. Funding is really hard. I know that um, I've written more grants than I ever thought possible. And it's tough because this is not something that fits tidally under a particular category. And so it was often in partnership with um, writing a grant, the, the organization that is hosting this third space. It looked best when they partnered with an arts organization or if they partnered with the schools or if they partnered with one of the hospitals to do something in particular. But funding's tough um, at uh, the third place commons here. For the nonprofit, they actually, you know, they have a, a breakfast and it's evolved. But it's, um, it's, it's tough. Yeah, maybe what I would uh, throw out there as well is um, that when a, a coffee house was starting up in our community, one of the first things I did is I went out and bought the book celebrating the third places. Um, it's subtitled Inspiring Stories About the Great Good Places at the Heart of Our Communities by Ray Odenberg. And, and it's more of a story format um, describing some of the case studies. And uh, obviously, Karen, uh, you know, you're very familiar with some of those. And, but, but it was a way to introduce the concept to them and then just had a little conversation with the owners about really, you know, wow, this is a great venture and we're hoping you're successful. But have you ever thought about you know, trying to become this other space, something more. And it was, um, and I think they have uh, attempted to do that. Another little book that's on the lighter side that I really enjoyed reading um, was uh, Little Chapel on the River. Uh, Gwendolyn Bounds, who's a Wall Street, I think she's a Wall Street journal writer, business writer. Um, she moved out of New York City after 9-11 and discovered a little third place um, located on the Hudson River. And so she describes her experience in that space and that community and how it helped integrate her into that place. Um, so those are two things I think that could help. I'm a, obviously a big fan of uh, The Great Good Place as a book. Unfortunately, it's not something that the average Joe wants <laughs> to read. So, um, But it's a great book uh, filled with just great insights. Fantastic. Those are some great places to start. I know those of you listening in have a lot of wonderful suggestions as well, so I'll put in one more plug and ask you all to please go to the Google Doc and add those um, Whatever ideas you have, whether it's ideas about funding sources, web links, resources, places to just send people to get tools and ideas, um, please throw them in there or ask more questions. That would be great. Um, so it's almost 5 o'clock. I just want to do a really quick wrap-up with a few important details, if you can hang on for 30 seconds. First of all, a very important thank you to Mike and Karen for joining us on the line today. Your comments were so insightful and have kicked off an amazing discussion here on Third Places, and I hope it's been helpful for everybody else as well. Um, for those of you listening in, again, the notes will stay here in the Google Docs. Feel free to keep adding to them and help us flesh this out even more. And the podcast will be live as of next week, so you'll receive an email from me sending those back out early in the week. I hope you'll all join us for the rest of the calls this year. We've got some great calls scheduled next month on some of the economics of sprawl and smart growth. We've got a call in November on open streets. And in December, we'll really be talking about how to bring diverse voices to the table. 
how you get all these different groups to engage with you in the first place and have good conversations. And then two last opportunities that are a little bit different. Um, we've had several people ask questions today about how you can connect with other people on the line who have stories or examples or challenges or who are working on this in your area. So if you are interested in connecting with more people, I just added a question at the very bottom of the Google Doc. Please go ahead in there, add your contact info or your name, um, and I'm happy to try to connect you the best I can. If you can't get into the Google Doc, you can also shoot me an email. I'm Rebecca at rstone at orton.org. And we've also put in a quick poll. We did a survey of Community Matters Conference Club participants. A couple said it would be great to have calls at some different times to allow people with different schedules to get on. So we'd just love to throw out one more quick poll question and find out what time would be best for you if we did offer some different times. Um, so with that, I'm going to close it out today. Thank you all so much for joining again, and I hope to talk to you next month. Have a great afternoon.